first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Uh, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. So, Orlando, I uh, have to apologize for all the nonsense that we've been through trying to get to do a, a recording together. You were just too fucking... No problem. You just... You're like I'm, I'm too good for this, so we have that's to that's how it goes. Um, <laughs> but man, I, I just I couldn't not include you. Like we were gonna have to like cut because of the footage was all fucked up. We had to cut you from that, and I'm like, well, I gotta do something. Like this game is just too cool to like not talk about. So thank you. It, let's just do a proper in the keep episode and be done with it. Um, thank so, you, man. We've, we've talked a lot ad nauseum. You know, it seems like this is the third time we're going to have to do it. But like, just kind of give us the elevator <laughs> pitch on what what is Grim Curse and why is it so special? Okay, so Grim Curse is this immersive experience. It's a like your typical top down RPG exploration type of game, but it's mixed with a new whole perspective. Like you enter into fights into a gallery shoot 'em up type of game, kind of like Duck Hunt. So instead of the classical turn based combat you enter into a first-person perspective where you shoot foes into eternity. It's so, such a cinematic experience, as hard as that. It, like, it's it's not, like, uncharted, obviously, because it's very, like, pixel art. But, you know, just the opening of the game when you're, like, you get all this, like, backstory on, like, what you're doing and everything, and it's just a very, very well-done kind of cinematic opening that... It makes you really feel immersed in the story right off the bat, and then I keep keep drawing the comparison to Pokemon, or you know, there's lots of games like this, but where you just have these random encounters, Zelda or whatever, and and I'm walking through the grass, and then suddenly there's a bunch of dudes, and they're just running across the screen side to side, and I didn't understand at first, like I I played a lot of like rail shooters, but I did not get the uh, you know sp- push space bar to like duck to reload. Like somebody had to explain to me, like, oh, that's Time Crisis, and I've probably played Time Crisis a time or two in an arta- arcade, but just not something that's like easily um, like accessible in my brain or memory for some reason. But as soon as I got the hang of that, I mean, I knew I had to do this podcast with you, so I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. But like, I, I probably could have just sat there, and I probably will just sit there and go back through the whole thing because it was just such a like. Addictive is what I'm saying. I'm, li- I'm literally like looking for combat. Like I want to do that again. That was fun. It w- it's not like a, a hassle. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, Green Curse itself, like the game, the, the game you play was the jam game, and I gotta admit that there are definitely like it's rough around the edges, but the, those are things we are helping improve. Like actually, the intro of the game, although very cinematic, 
most people hate it because of the amount of text. But you know, we were in a rush. We were like, uh, we we have like like these many days remaining, and we have so much. We we actually plan for for this little little cool cool in quotation marks this little jangling to have like three areas, um, a final boss. Uh, uh, well, it has a boss, but it's not like like so many enemies. And when we were about like in the second week or something of the because it was four weeks, it was a month. We were like, shit, we're running. We're running out of time. Let's just make one area and, and and leave it there. But we made definitely a proof of concept. We definitely learned some things about, uh, on the way. And uh, now we're taking up the project again. Like this last December, we restarted like the whole project with uh, more limitations. We decided to take a more humble approach to how we will build the game. We just want this experience complete and finished for everyone to play. It's a... Uh... I'm excited, obviously, to see like where you go from here because I, I can th- just like right off the bat playing it, I can think of like a million different cool ideas you could come up with. And I know you, like, <laughs> you know, you got to publish the game, but you're, you're talking about people not liking too much text. Like I'm working on the Call of Ragnar team over here, like where our game is a book, essentially. Uh, I've told Damian many times, like I'll, I'll even troll the the supporters, and they're like, well, "Are you going to have this and this and that?" And I'm like, "I don't know why you guys think this is a game. Like all we're doing th- this whole game, Call of Ragnar, is just walking through the woods and reading books. There's, I, I tell them like, <laughs> there's no combat, there's no adventure here. It's just, yeah, it's a it's a walking and reading simulator. <laughs> it's, it's not true. There's so much to the game. There's so much. To- yeah. Also, there there's different market for every game like um you see when you're playing a game jam um in the end there's like these ratings like this rating part where you have to like rate uh other people's games and you see like a lot of devs like rushing and rushing to play every game so that's pretty at least in my opinion that's part of the reason why a lot of people complain there were actually some pretty mean comments uh, about um, about the intro being too long, and it's pretty funny because in the top of the itch.io site, there is actually this huge like caps written "press escape to skip the intro." And there, and there was people apologizing, like, oh, sorry, I did not read that. Oh, well, but they, they actually went ahead and and down just to comment, the, the intro is too long. <laughs> I'm guilty of the same thing because I was sitting there like playing it and I was like, what the fuck? How do I reload? It doesn't tell me how to reload. And then I push escape. I'm like, and scroll down. And right there is like, you, you wrote out yeah. the like, this is how, which is, I know that I know that's what people do in browser games, but I'm like, yeah, I, just, I was just so excited. Like I got to fucking play this right now. Like, I Don't worry, it. because in the in this iteration of the game, we'll, we'll add proper instructions on how to play the game. We'll add, a lot of things and the intro you mentioned like the cinematic intro was actually designed like the sound was designed by marcel it's like he's the writer but he's also doing a lot of the audio of the game he didn't record like everything he used mostly free free samples from like uh, royalty free libraries and he assembled everything himself but he really did a pretty good job at uh, telling like this introduction Marcel also is kind of in charge of the story, right? Like he's kind of the the expert on on that. Yeah, he's the writer. He came up with 
with the main concept. We were like, you know, just think of a historical setting that's cool and then we can make something uh, with science fiction on. And he came up with this word that barely anyone has ever heard and then came up with this idea of a call that a guy that pretty much no one has ever heard of, he's called Trang Hung Dao. He was like this overlord, uh, not overlord, he was a general. And he rep this guy single-handedly helped uh, uh, repel like three Mongolian invasions. So he's a certified badass of, of his timeline. And there's so much more I could talk about it, but th that's not the point of this talk. But he, th th there will be a definitely uh, development around this historical character, the cult that's in the in the in the woods, and all of the things that you'll find. Well, not the woods, the jungle, because it's a it's a jungle. It's Vietnam. That's that's such an interesting time in history because it's not something that gets talked about at all really like i don't remember reading in the history books about that particular period though it's not necessarily like a conflict that is part of the american zeitgeist i guess you know from yeah that perspective so i didn't i didn't really know what i was getting myself into um but i love history you know i'm a huge fan of like uh what my favorite po people think what are your favorite podcasts since you run one and i'm like well most of them are like history podcast with like hardcore history or martyr made podcast history on fire. And it's like usually just one guy and he's just talking about history. Um, and some of the most interesting things about history are the conflicts that happen before a major conflict, uh, that might affect, you know, your part of the world that kind of lead up to it because everything's interconnected like that. Right. So, yeah, you know, when you, when you learn about, the the things that go on in you know Vietnam and that area before uh, the Americans got involved, which wasn't until the 1950s ish, I want to say. Yeah, um, it can be really eye opening because you know we have our preconceptions and, and the things that we were taught as little kids and and such that just don't paint the full picture of what went on there. Yeah, actually, part of. Oh, go ahead. Don't don't worry. Well, Vietnam was actually, at least from my understanding, I'm terrible at history. But Marcel has helped me learn a lot of new things. Vietnam was like like this like this war filled country. Like it's never it, it it was actually struggling for quite a lot of time. There were like different zones with the different uh, how do you call that different governments, different different factions. I, sorry, I, it's really hard for me to explain that. But the point is that the place was riddled with war. It's like uh, South Sudan in Africa. It's, it's a place that goes into war so often. And the Vietnam was like that for many decades. And uh, <laughs> then you see the, the Americans coming in. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, I'm sure Marcel would be much better to explain all of this. But Vietnam is a place filled with a lot of history. We'll have to do a part two about Grim Curse with him, just to, like where he can nerd out about history and stuff. But uh, <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen any any of like movies or films kind of set in that area? Like, um, I'm trying to remember, is it Apocalypse Now? Kind of oh. dives into the fact that the French had occupied that area for a long time before the American, because that's essentially what happened: was the French kind of gave up on trying to control the Vietnamese and then the Americans white flag on the side. Yeah. Uh, came in on the side of the 
uh, South Vietnamese and then essentially warring against the Viet Cong the whole time. And then, and then eventually the Americans did the same thing. We just, and I say we, I mean like the, the people at the time gave up. And again, they're just like, fuck this, man. We're out. We just pulled completely out of the war and then left the South Vietnamese with like, we left them with equipment, I guess. But like, you know, here's some planes and some tanks and didn't train anybody how to use them. And then within, you know, a short amount of time after the Americans pulled out, they were just totally dominated by the North who were, you know, being fueled by uh, China and, and Russia to some extent. Um, I don't know. It's wild. But that's your game really, takes place all before that and gives us a little window into a different part of history. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Uh, this is kind of a scene because I, I know it's a movie I could dig, but I have not seen Apocalypse Now. But if I were to say uh, like a movie that I really love about that about that setting, I would say Full Metal Jacket. I love that oh, movie yeah. so much. Yeah. Real good movie. All Stanley Kubrick movies, but that was that oh, was. Yeah. Uh, near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons. Kino, man, Kino. <laughs> you like, you yeah. can suck a golf ball through a garden hose, boy. <laughs> you like the kind of man that would fuck another man in his ass and not have the common decency to give him a reach around. Like, that, that shit is, it starts so off as quotable. a comedy and, tur- and then like halfway through the movie it turns into the most serious fucking movie you've ever seen. Like, it, it's brilliant filmmaking and, and also, you know, not the most historically accurate, I guess, but it did get Stanley Kubrick in a lot of trouble because the, the American Marine Corps did not appreciate the way that they were depicted in that movie. Um, it's weird. Yeah. It's so funny. So funny for the first like 45 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, like verbal abuse is quite a terrible thing. <laughs> yeah, that movie is so quotable. There are so many boys' lines. Yeah. There are so many mods and things made by people where they take the the uh, drill surgeon's voice lines uh, and just make make fun of that. Do you like dick? Do, do you suck dick? I don't know. It's so funny. It's really fun. It's really funny. Another movie I like that actually tackled this uh, Vietnamese conflict too, but in a different way, was uh, Jacob's Ladder. Have you seen that one? I've not seen Jacob's Ladder, but it's like it's on my. I have a long in the keep. We do like movie night, and we have a long fucking list of like. Okay, <laughs> tonight we're gonna watch this one, and Jacob's Ladder is on that list. I promise. I will. I will eventually watch Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it, but without spoiling too much, uh, it really talks about the abuse of soldiers with substances, like the the repercussions after the war. That's pretty much what tackles. And the guy that you see, the main protagonist, was actually in the Vietnamese War. And yeah, yeah, that's another movie that I like that, although not settled exactly in Vietnam, it's a whole different thing. Um, tackles also many of the problems that these conflicts had. It's, um, th- there's a lot of great movies that are set in that. Like, uh, I want to say Han- Hamburger Hill was one of them. It's just like a, such a, important time in american history anyway so and, and especially that generation like this was happening during the you know 50s 60s and 70s and this is when you know movies were becoming really really big in america so it just made sense to kind of yeah. all the people a, a lot of the actors coming home from you know they came home from the war and, and that and that's what was on their mind uh, and the same could be said about like J.R.R. tolkien wrote a lot of the lord of the Rings stuff like when he was in the trenches well, the Hobbit too, but you know he was in World War One, and like that really influenced his story and his storytelling. And so it makes sense that fiction kind of like tackles that because 
Apocalypse Now the, is based on a book that had nothing to do with Vietnam. It was actually in, uh, in Africa. But they rewrote it to be in Vietnam because it was more, uh, it made more sense and was like more of something that people cared about at the time. So when that movie came out, it was like the seventies. It was right after the conflict had kind of ended, um, and pe- it was on people's minds so much. Yeah, that's that's completely that's a it's it's really interesting, and it's really funny because although most people associate Vietnam with uh, the American conflict, like everyone thinks about war in Vietnam and they just think of a chopper laying down fire on some poor civilians. <laughs> we, we're not tackling that exact timeline. Well, no timeline, sorry. We're not exactly in that, 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 that time. We are actually tackling way before. And you know, the protagonist is not, a, not American. It's actually a French legionnaire. So mm-hmm. he's, he's part of the of like this whole section of the French military that's only comprised of of foreign foreign people. So you see, yep. uh, like that your comrades are actually all conf- like people from different parts of the world because they actually are just in the French legionnaire. And you, Did you reach out to Jean Claude Van Damme to see if he wanted to voice the main character in your game. Oh yeah, I reached out to him. He actually agreed. Like <laughs> he will. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the name is a bit a, a bit different. It's not Jen like Jean. It's, it's actually J A N. That's that's how that's how his name. Yeah. Um, Jean Claude yeah, yeah. was in two different movies where he played uh, Legionnaire. So he played Lionheart, and he was in the movie Legionnaire. Uh, oh, I thought you were like saying because of the name. That's interesting. No, I mean, it's that's why I'm bringing it up. There's like the similarity. Oh, I, I get like, you well, now. I get you now. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, that God, would be cool. And that he participated, and I, I animate yeah. <laughs> <laughs> him doing like the splits. I animate. I, I animate him doing a split. He <laughs> <laughs> kicks two different. That would be cool. At the same time. Watch out. <laughs> what, what else has like been sort of um, challenge? Because you've been making, as you said, you guys have made a lot of game game jam games and everything. Is this this is going to be your first like real commercial release? If I understand correctly, um, uh, that's actually quite an interesting conversation because you know that a lot of indie ga- like indie devs always have like this graveyard on the side of dead projects. You know, mm-hmm. well. I, uh, um, we were we were developing uh, like a top-down shooter years ago called mm-hmm. Time Grip. We never released it. It was actually greenlit, like in Steam Greenlight. So you can tell how how back that is, like how far back. So as oh, as I mentioned before, we lacked. Her. I'm 24, man. Oh, okay. What about you? I'm 26, but like I was, you're like way back in the day when you were green. Like you must have been a teenager or some shit. Like I didn't know how. I, I was like, yeah, I was, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, uh, I was uh, like in probably my second or third semester of school, and then I see this guy playing the like developing this top on shooter. I'll tell him, do you need some help with English? Because his English was really okay. bad. <laughs> I don't. I don't feel bad saying it. Like Jesus's English at the time was atrocious. 
and he needed, definitely needed help. So I started helping actually just by translating stuff. But then I actually took a part on, like, I want to do some pixel art. I want to, like, do this little drawing. Starting on pixel art is so easy. Like, anyone can start, like, now mastering it. I, I still don't. Um, and then if we started to, like, develop this top-down shooter, and it took us some time. We never finished it. We started to participate in uh, jam games, which was really fun because you feel that, like, like, that search of actually finishing a game, like, that that feeling of actually finishing a game and, and uploading it. And although it, it had a lot of issues, people really liked it. Uh, the game is called Code Red. It's a little simple platformer about this little monster that's on a lab and um, breaks loose. And then you can start like eating people around like, and uh, it's super edgy. Like I, I, I don't care how, how, how edgy it is. I love the ending. Like at the end of the story, like after going through all of these rooms, you reach out like this, to this uh, container and it actually has like a girl. And then you die alongside a girl, like the little monster had a monster girlfriend. I don't know. But it was like, the kind of things we were making at the time. We then made this top-down shooter called Sucker Munch. And then we thought, okay, let's put Tangrid on a little, Tangrid on a little hold and then let's focus on a simple project, you know, uh, like a a simple wave arena shooter, not like this campaign thing. And then we started to work on Soccer Munch for a while, but we didn't really feel it after some time. Like we were a little demotivated and I was also full of, because I actually have a, I'm not trying to flex here, but I have an uh, electrical engineering degree and there are some semesters that, that are wild. And I, it was like, I, I couldn't draw for months because I'm not very smart. So I had to study a lot. And after that, we, after some time, we came up with the idea of entering the GitHub game off. Uh, and then we got to start making green cards and everyone was like so excited because the concept was so cool. You're in a first in the China war. You're trying to reach out to this problem, but the military only cares about beating the enemy. But you actually want to find the, the problem itself. And, and, and that's how it starts. That's just the start of the whole thing. I wish I had more to show, but I'm sure that like the teaser trailer that will show at Realms Day will give the game some justice on the settling and everything. It's interesting you say that, you know, a lot of the stuff that you worked on beforehand. I, I was editing uh, Bridge Burner's podcast with John Romero earlier. Oh, today. Bridge Burner? Oh, name drop. Boom. Yeah. The, the the modder oh his stuff is so cool I've seen it yeah go on he's amazing but he 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 I produced the uh, the Burning Bridges podcast for him and so he had John Romero on blah 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 oh. but he asked uh, the fatal question you know he, he starts right off the bat he's like so John we're here to talk about your early work and, and you are going on you know he, he goes into like you know like Wolfenstein and Doom and Quake and John's like uh well you know. Wolfenstein was like the 87th game that I published. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Yeah, he he made like a thousand games before Wolfenstein and, yeah. and, and the other game, the Magic one. I don't, I don't, I forgot his name, but there were so many projects that he made. Yeah, I mean, I mean, him and and Carmack both had released so many things, but it, that was in the time of like you know, we call it indie dev now, but like all devs were just kind of like shooting <laughs> shooting in a closet for. <laughs> Most of the '70s until it, you know, became a big. Really, didn't become a big commercial enterprise until home consoles and such. Otherwise, it was just arcade stuff, which is fine. But then, like p computer gaming, playing games on the PC, like Romero was uh, typing out, you know, 
code that you would that it would be published in magazines, and then the person would you know read the magazine, and then they would type in the code exactly as written in the magazine, and then pu- like run the program, and that's how they got their games. So there's no you know internet distribution and things. Yeah. Like that. Um. I mean, I've read that. I, I could pick on Bridgeburner all day. He did a fantastic job. It was a great interview uh, in a lot of other ways. It was just like it made me laugh because there are so many developers like that where, you know, uh, the, the first thing that they publish that gets famous, they've been, you know, they had like a hundred failures before. And, and in Romero's case, not failures, just not huge commercial successes, but things that just didn't get the attention um, until it, um, one day lightning, they caught lightning in a bottle with something like Wolfenstein. <laughs> Yeah, it's so crazy. Those times were so crazy. Like, you know, the Ken Silverman, the guy that made the build engine? Yeah. There is this. I've been trying to get him on the podcast forever. I've even emailed, <laughs> I tried to hunt him down, can't find him. <laughs> <laughs> there's this video that, uh, there's this a pretty popular video that explains like the development of the build engine and everything. And it's so amazing how at a, at a such uh, like at so young age this guy managed to make to make like all he made. Imagine you're just uh, like coming back from your office work as a dad. I don't know anything about his family. I'm just talking about him. And then you yeah. see that your son made a product that's fit to be sold by a company, and it's actually very high end tech. It's so impressive, like something that that could happen. Uh, like the 90s were filled with geniuses, honestly. He made a an engine that made you know it was then used to make some of the most iconic games of all time. Yeah, it was a direct competitor to John Carmack's work, which was like you know at the it was like Quake, Duke Nukem 3D, and then Unreal Tournament. Was those are like just the three things that just totally changed gaming. Yeah. And and he was part of that, and in competing with these, and and to be fair, Carmack was pretty young too. He was like in his twenties. I don't I don't really know enough about Unreal to do a lot of commentary on that, but yeah, it's it's wild. It's it's, it's amazing, yeah. It makes me uh, feel like an idiot. Like I'm <laughs> my life, God. <laughs> it makes us feel all like idiots, honestly. Well, I was talking to you earlier about. Uh, I'm a huge wrestling fan, and Sammy Guevara is a prominent wrestler on AEW. Oh yeah, and <laughs> I, I realized one day, like, because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't look that old, but I like just looked him up, and he's like 22, 23. Oh, he's been wrestling for years, you know. And then there's another guy called Jungle Boy who's like 20 years old, and these guys, <laughs> these guys are on TV and shit, and I'm over here just like. Fuck! What am I doing with my life? I'm so old and I haven't done anything. <laughs> Heads up, everyone! Uh, my name is Orlando Guevara, but uh, like Mother Load made a joke about maybe your family with Sammy Guevara, and I say my second name is actually Samuel. So yeah, yes. <laughs> Some people have called me Sammy too. So yeah, that's that's wild, man. I didn't expect that. And yeah, there's. I didn't know that you were moonlighting as a luchador. Like that's that's pretty. <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> yeah, and. Yeah, there are there's electrical engineer, a game designer, and a world famous professional wrestler. Like Yeah, yeah, that's so many things, right? So many things. Um Yeah, but um uh, th- th- this will be a little bit of a more personal comment. But I'm living in a kind of a troubled country. I'm actually working as a pixel artist because I'm actually making a better income. I'm having a more established life by being a pixel artist. 
And that's pretty much why I dedicate myself to what I do, although I have an electrical engineering degree. I'll probably uh, take more advantage of that once I leave this country, but that's pretty much why, why I'm actually working on that. Unfortunately, it's just like we talk to a lot of people who are from, I'll call like less privileged parts of the world. Uh, I had one friend, his name was uh, Praise the Sun. He went by a lot of different names, but in Discord, that was his name. And he. I'm, I'm here. This, like, I'm here. I'm here. He had this dream of, like, I want to make a game so that I can leave Pakistan. Like, that was his whole thing. Like, I just want to publish a game on Steam so I can make enough money to just get the fuck out of Pakistan. And I'm like, that shit is crazy, know. man. That's so yeah. crazy. And I'm not sure where he is now. He's been working on uh, essentially an, an arena first-person shooter for a long time, and I hope that it's continuing to grow. I just it, you only I can only keep track of so many people. I try to touch base with everyone as much as I can. But uh, another one was a couple of years ago in the keep was uh, we, we we do a charity event every year in in October, roughly that kind of time frame. And it was this guy uh, who's like always a friend of ours in in uh, Z Damon, the Doom. Uh, multiplayer port yeah and i didn't even really know much about him other than like you know he's just a guy who hangs out you know plays games and stuff and then we realized one day that you know he was he's really young he was like uh, 16 or 17 at the time but he had uh, leukemia and he lived in egypt and he'd already lost Ooh. his father and his brother to the same thing and that's so, and so like, I, I hard this, this charity event we raised a pretty good amount of money i, I wish i could just like you know reach in my pocket and pull out a fuck ton of money and just like throw it at him. But I was like, well, I got to do the best I can. Um, so we put on this charity event, uh, tournaments and stuff in different arena shooters. I think it was like quake and, uh, maybe Warfork and doom stuff like that. And when we, when we reached out to him, you know, cause I knew like how kind of shitty the situation was. I'm like, can I, you know, send this money directly to your family to like, you know, help you guys out. And, and his response was, I would I'd prefer you to send it to the Egyptian cure fund because they pay for our, our medical bills. And I, I'd rather it go to helping other people than to just help my family. And I was like, that's such an amazing person. So powerful, man. Impressive. And, and that's like, I, I don't mean like, I, I kind of sound like I'm a fucking, you know, simp right here, but like, seriously, <laughs> not at all so much. I was like, I, uh, anytime and I, I try to like that's another person that I just you know if even if I don't hear him from him for like six months I'm just like hey man how are you doing you know and he scares me sometimes because like, shit's so bad in Egypt I have no idea what's going on and I'm like but, you know how are you and he's just like oh, I got a new job I'm like well what are you doing I'm a boss now and I was like I mean like a mob boss damn I was like what do you do and he's just like well I you know carry a gun and I stand at the edge of my village and people show up I Make sure that they don't come in. I was like, Holy "Oh my god!" god. <laughs> Makes you feel so, so privileged about some things in your life. Like so, so thankful. Damn. Me especially. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I live in a fucking gated community. There's nobody getting to me. <laughs> like, <at> all, <laughs> yeah. but, and I feel so like, I, I guess you can only spend so much time like feeling bad about like, oh yeah. I have privileges that other people don't have, but like, you, I think it's healthy to just kind of keep it in mind. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like you can't be spending all of your energy on things you cannot solve just in an instant. But I'm so glad that the... I'm so glad you're helping me, helping him 
in all these really nice ways. And that's so good of you, man. Seriously. I mean, it's not just like good of me. It was like, it was a whole community of people, you know, in the keep and the Z, the whole Z Damon community. We had professional quake players that showed up for it. it was, that's what was so cool about it is that so many people came together under this idea that we're, you know, we're going to try to raise some money for this charity. And it wasn't much. It wasn't like we changed the fucking world or fixed anybody's problems, but it's just, I think it's like a beautiful gesture when people come together, I guess, and try you know, to show. Yeah. Sometimes I think positivity and, and love or whatever can be more powerful than just money. Just, just knowing that people out there care about you and care about what you're going through. It's important to, way. it's important to keep morals healthy. Like let people know what shit actually matters. So that's really good. That's really good. Really good. All right. Uh, I guess the next thing that I really wanted to like continue to talk about though, we were off there talking about most of it would, would be education. Um, and you were talking about how folks in the industry uh, of like software development and gaming and have like, the disproportionate amount of like people who do and don't have college degrees and how important that is and, and to get into the gaming field or the software field in general. Um, what was your take on that? Yeah, at least It's my personal take, given I'm not a super huge professional in, in any of these fields, but I'm seeing a change like across the years. Uh, I'm pretty sure other people can talk better about it, but I'm seeing uh, so many people claiming to have achieved jobs without formal education, at least in fields where you can educate yourself with ease, like software development, um, design, Uh, motion graphics, all of those things. Sometimes you can just pick up a guide, pick up some YouTube videos, pick up a, a course, and then you start developing skills that you will use for the, for your job. And I, I think college education is important in a sense that it helps you develop uh, persistence, uh, like, uh, like a will to actually finish things. You also meet new people. But not everyone has the resources to study. Not everyone has a way to sustain themselves while they're studying. So I'm really glad that there are more options to people rather than just uh, submitting their like their passions or their dreams just because they don't have a way to achieve certain things. Um, just a little example that I uh, said earlier to to Tyler. Um, there's this little library to build like web applications and interfaces called React. And if you check the About team, this was a while ago. If they updated, I'll look like a dumbass. But uh, if you check the, the About page, I remember that I only saw one of them, like out of the eight or nine core team members, only one of them had like formal education. Maybe this has changed now, but uh, it talks to me about how much you can learn by yourself. Uh, we were talking about Ken Silverman earlier. I mean, he had the skills to do what he did before he was even old enough to go to college. You know what I mean? Uh, Fucking genius. So examples of that. Uh, I think some people are motivated in different ways. Some people, formal education is what gives them that, you know, that drive and like the, having, you know, having time frames and having assignments that keep them honest. Um, But I mean, speaking personally for me, I've never had a problem with getting shit done on time or like being driven, you know, self self motivated. Uh, my wife, you know, she's a totally different example. Like she really thrives in that in like a structured environment where there are like rules to follow and everything, and that, and that's how she learns. I 
just don't. And I don't think that uh, it's necessarily the right path for everyone, certainly for a lot of people. And, and in America, as we were talking about earlier um, off the air, it costs money to go to school. Uh, and if it were free, it might be a totally different situation for a lot of people. Yeah, I'll just go. But if it's like, I tell my younger brother, you know, uh, even he's thinking about going to college. I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to study? And he's like, I don't know. I just think, you know, you're supposed to go to college because, like, that's how you get a job. And I'm like, just get a fucking trade, you know, learn to be an electrician. Or a, And he ended up being a, a tug, <laughs> a tugboat <laughs> uh, worker. And he loves it. You know, he's, he gets out every day. He learns his skills. He's doing, like, pipe fitting and stuff. And he's riding a boat down a river, you know, enjoying every day of his life, you know, sweating and working hard, but he likes it. And he's making enough money to take care of his wife and his kid. And, that's awesome. And, you know, that's probably better than if he had just gone to college and gotten into a lot of debt and in, studied something that he wasn't really interested in. And I think that that's true for a lot of people. Uh, even before I got into meteorology, I was an, an electrician's apprentice for a couple of years. And I think that's one of the most valuable things I learned because what, one of the things that I did learn was that, uh, a, how to how to do that kind of stuff, like how to do the the job, but also, um, I really appreciate sitting in an office with air conditioning, <laughs> because i i did it I did years of like climbing through attics and having fiberglass stuck in my arms and God knows what else. Damn, into so many funny situations. I'm so uh, bad yeah. with with manual tasks, like anything that requires like getting to the job. Um, I actually, like, I started electrical engineering and everything that had to do with electricity, setting up wires, like setting up all the circuits, uh, I was terrible at it. I really liked anything that was more software side, more office job, let's say. And, you know, that, that actually thing that you mentioned a while ago, like your brother not really being sure about what to do with his life, that really talks bad about the education system because that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't choose electrical engineering. Well, it's actually electronical, but you guys don't have like the name for it. You, you actually take electrical engineering, then specialize in electronics. But yeah, I didn't pick it because I knew what I would do at it. I was actually really confused about what to do with my life. All I knew is that I like video games and When I told my dad, I want to study computer science, my dad told me, okay, but you can pick it, but electronic, elect, elect, electrical engineering gives you more money. And I was like, okay, if that gives me more money, I guess I'll study it. But I swear that in the first semesters, I was like, what the hell am I doing here? But I just kept going with it because it's really hard for me to let go of some things. So I just graduated. And when I was in the seventh or eighth semester, I realized That's what I'm telling you, that you don't really need like super formal education to achieve some things, uh, even less something like software development, where you can just start out by reading a book. Like I already have the calculus basics, so yeah. I, I just have to like, I had to take my books and start studying a lot, which I've done in my spare time in these last years. I just think about it like, it, you know, if if your dream job is to be a fucking, you know, cardiologist, obviously you have to go to college. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. You, if your dream job is to be an astronaut, you definitely have to do <laughs> all the things in order to be an astronaut. You can't just like self-teach yourself how to be an astronaut. Yeah, yeah. 
but like if you want to be a I don't know a craftsman, you know, if you want to be like a a blacksmith or a uh, you know a furniture whatever the fuck they call themselves or a, <laughs> a cobbler like people who make shoes or like you don't need to go to college. You need to find somebody who knows how to make shoes and ask them to give you a job and learn <laughs> how to do it. You know, and agree. <laughs> It's just a, and it's a determining fact. Like a huge determining factor is like, what do you want to do? And so many people I know in America, um, they don't know what they want to do when they graduate high school, but they know that they are supposed to go to college because for a, the longest time, our parents' generation was like, if you go to college, you will get paid more money. But now, now when you talk to people who are you know, entrepreneurs, make the most money. That's what people don't talk about. Like Elon Musk is, it's not that he's an engineer, it's that he's a fucking entrepreneur, and that's why he's the richest man in the world. Yeah. Same thing with uh, with Jeff Bezos and people like this. You know, that it's not they didn't make their money because they went to college and got a really good job out of it. They made their money because they invested well and did something for themselves, and 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 probably had other people that did things for them too. But you get what I'm saying? Yeah. People love dreams, man. They always talk about the people at the top and. The, uh, it's really it's it's like the dream. Exactly, it's exactly that a dream. Like you can't yeah. really fucking expect to achieve being Elon Musk. I'll study physics and I'll be like Elon Musk and I'll have really great ideas. That's not how it works. You'll probably get paid very well working for Elon Musk because he's the boss. Yeah. Job. <laughs> you know? I, one of my favorite things that my friend Jeff told me this. I hope he's Jeff like, Bezos. I love you. No. Uh, yeah, my friend Jeff Bezos. His name is Flambeau, actually. <laughs> Jeff, Jeffrey. He's a Dutch guy, and he's always, you know, ragging on me. And he's like, "You know why they call it the American Dream?" And I was like, "What are you, what are you talking about? Why?" And he said, "Because <laughs> it only, it never happens when you're awake. <laughs> it's just like this constant reaching for the brass ring because we see the the very rich people at the top, and they're like, we think we're going to be like that if we work really hard." And the reality is that um, they're, they're, they know something you don't, and that's in investment, entrepreneurship. Like that's, that's how you become rich. It's not by getting a job and working for someone else because if you work for someone else, no matter what, in my opinion, even, you know, even if they compensate you really well, and there's ethical and unethical ways to do it, but you know, you're being paid less than you're worth or else they wouldn't be making a profit. Yeah. If your, your boss is doing none of the work and, taking most of the cut and you're doing all of the work and you're only getting paid, even if it's $300,000 a year, it's still not what you're worth, not what you generated, not the work, the work that you put in amounted to something else. And I think that should be more of a symbiotic thing. Yeah. At least in my opinion, in my personal opinion, uh, that's how, that's just how the market goes. People will have ideas. People will always profit on other people. I just leave them be like, there is rich people. I, I, I don't really think about them. But what you're saying. I don't want to be rich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Being, being, being rich sucks, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, wanting to be rich is such a weird way of thinking sometimes uh, because there are so many. Or famous. Or famous, yeah. Who would want to be famous? Like, no, yeah, because I want all the money. I want everyone to take pictures of me in the street. That sounds so weird. Because we celebrate them. You know, 
that's the thing is like the Kardashians, right? People want to be famous because they first of all equate fame with rich with being rich, and also because they the people who, for whatever reason that's who we admire the most in in our Western culture. I think is people who are on TV like and they look beautiful and all this kind of shit. Um, we don't put a lot of. I, I mean, I think that like doctor like nurses, especially like nurses, should be celebrated. They should be rock stars. Every nurse I know, especially the ones that work during like the COVID outbreak, oh yeah, like twenty four hour shifts and shit, they should be driving Lamborghinis. All of them. We should be like, you know, and here we are with <laughs> like <laughs> Nurse Yanine from the COVID clinic in in fucking Amsterdam or you know in Rotterdam or whatever the fuck, and she just saved like ten people's lives, like today. But we don't give a fuck about that. All we do is talk about like, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio was in a new movie. Like, I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't love movies and all, but like, why is that the most important thing that we celebrate? And yeah. About? It's, it occupies everyone's mind all the time and not these amazing, wonderful people who literally lay their lives on the line to like save other people's lives. Way more important. Everybody knows a nurse. Yeah. Everybody needs a nurse. If you never saw a movie your whole life, you'd probably just be fine. But if you didn't have someone who was a healer in your tribe, you're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, um, there is this uh, there is this guy that I, I used to work for um, making sprites for his game. He is making this game called Hack Rack. It's like a it's hard to explain, but it's a, like a mixture between a hacking game and uh, like an RPG game type type of game. I will send you a link later. But the thing is that well, I started to meet him better, like, well, what you do for a living? Where are you? And he tells me he's like, uh, he's, he works in bioinformatics. Like the guy codes like these genetic m models of how the human body reacts to viruses to actually uh, make simulations and develop cures for diseases. I treat this guy as a hero. Like right now he's not as active as before. I even gave him free sprites once in one December. Merry Christmas. I will do this for free. No worries. Because he's actually in a budget. Like he's not the he's not like a millionaire or something like that. Although he's fucking working uh, in developing the cures for all of these diseases. He actively worked in COVID. He actively worked in sorry, what's the what's the name of this disease? E Ebola. Ebola. Is that how it's pronounced? Ebola? Ebola. Ebola, thank you. Uh, he actively worked in all of these diseases. Uh, every time I talk to this guy, uh, 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 whenever he talks to me about his work, I'm like, yeah, go be a hero. Uh, and I always give him cuts. I always charge him less. He's such a great guy. Um, yeah, uh, the, 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 those are the kind of people we should be celebrating, the, the people that are actively working on improving the world. But you know how things go. People always want to celebrate whatever is the big shit right now. And I don't want, I, I, it's not like I really feel a, like a big brain for saying that. Like everyone has their own interest in, and it's always important to respect that. But I myself really, really respect people that are working, working in the health industry. Yeah. And I, you brought up another thing to my mind. Do, do you know who Amorpher is? Mm-mm. His, his real name is Jacob. I don't know if he's like Amorpher. I'm sorry, I doxed you. Get over it. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, is like a really prominent in like the Quake 
modding scene and a lot of other starting now like a, a lot of like pretty cool like smaller commercial games he makes music and he makes some of like the most just insanely beautiful but also like dark and disturbing like ambient music you've ever heard in your life i play it on the podcast all the time like because he's just one of my favorite musicians like really and i find him so fascinating and i reached out to him because i really liked his music and then we get to talking and it turns out you know his day job he gives all of his music away like he doesn't charge anything for it he lets game designers use it for whatever they want especially in the quake modding scene like they use it to make like these really cool um you know levels with like just just this dark scary sounding kind of like environ environmental music um but he's a he's a please uh, forgive me if I get this wrong a biomechan a bioengineer, and he yeah. like works on that kind of shit all day. And I'm like, well, what do you do like in the day to day? He's like, oh, you know, I'm working on figuring out how COVID affects the body and all that kind of stuff. And you know, ways to so amazing, man. And I'm, like, and I'm just like, fuck. And there's so many cool people that I. You know, and this is just in my little circle. People who end up in, you know, the in the game world, in the game design world, or whatever, somehow or another, who have like these amazing backgrounds. I'm like, why are you doing this when you could be doing that? Um, my my friend MK, MK Schmidt has been on the podcast a couple of times. One of my favorite guests ever, and he is a is a fine artist, and that's a whole different look. You know, like he he paints these amazing, beautiful pictures, and and you know does it on commission sometimes and everything, and it's like fuck, and then, like for him, like the natural next step was like, well, I see games as art, and I want to make them, so I am. And his games are beautiful, by the way. Like if you've never seen Paradox Vector, it's gorgeous. Got to check really it out. That sounds really good. Yeah, it's it's so cool. It's like a non non diluvian. I, I want to say I, I'm probably using some weird scientific anti diluvian. Anti diluvian, yeah. I've, where he's like trick, like you you walk through a a doorway and then the whole room changes perspective and, and I can't even think on that level. I can barely comprehend what's going on, but he, you know, people who design that kind of shit, like big brain. That's <laughs> really cool. And, and I asked him where that came from and he was talking about, um, <clears throat> who was that artist that did the, the never ending staircase? Do you remember what I'm talking about? So one for super Mario 64. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm doing some Google Foo here. Duck, duck, go, go Foo in my. Oh, I used to. Keeping browsing safe. Who is this artist? You, Euclidean? No, oh, non Euclidean. You say anti, anti. Don't worry, don't worry. Anti Diluvian is like this Lovecraftian thing. But I wasn't sure. I, I've, I've read it sometimes, uh, so I was like, maybe it's some literature literature of Lovecraft. I've I haven't read. So who I'm thinking of is M.C. Escher. He was a, this artist who would draw like these, uh, or he would paint um, staircases that would like go around the picture, and it would be technically it, like, it would look perfectly correct, but it would actually be impossible to do. Oh it yeah. So you're essentially you start you're walking upstairs the whole time, yeah. And you move back around into the original staircase, and you're like, I've seen those, yeah. Fuck. It's a paradox, and that's why his game is called Paradox Vector. 
That's really cool. That's really cool. I, I always yeah. wonder how people play with geometry to make these things. Whenever I see the gameplay, um, I'm always thinking, because I have a degree of understanding of how games work. But whenever I see the, like the, there are some simpler things, like maybe you just enter into a room and then you're suddenly into another, like the geometry doesn't make sense. You know, those, the, the, you can think about that easier. Cause, no, it's just teleporting. But then you see these people twisting like these levels. Have you ever seen this game called, oh my God, how is it called? It's like this game where you play with perspective and then you can actually solve puzzles based on, on it's in like in first person. Um, Fez? No, it's not Fez. I gotta, I, I, I have, I have. Fez does that too though. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. It's really cool too. Yeah. Um, Let me let me see if I can look it up. But meanwhile, yeah, it's a game that plays with perspective. Paper Mario? Is it Paper Mario? No, no, it's a first-person <laughs> game. So it's actually a pretty recent title. Let me see if There's I can. so many geniuses out there making this like amazing art. Like this just super liminal games. It's called super liminal. Super liminal. Super liminal. Okay. I'll have to add that to the the wish list. Yeah, and the game is pretty much that. You're going room to room, and you're playing with perspective to solve puzzles. It's like, imagine you have like a little piece of cheese across the, across the room that's on a table. Mm -hmm. You see that it's really far, and you see it as a really small thing because it's kind of perspective, like distance. You see it's smaller. Imagine you could like pick it up, walk backwards, uh, have it in your face, And then, of course, it's in your face. It looks bigger. And then you drop it, and it turns into a giant cheese. Because you know of perspective, right? You have the, cho the like, the, it's more like when you're a child, and you're playing with your, with your view, and you're, like, seeing an apple that looks bigger than it actually is, because it's right in front of your face. And that's pretty much what the game is about, playing with perspective. You have to see it to actually understand it, because <laughs> it's really hard to explain. But it's a game that plays with perspective, and... Uh, I don't know if it's non-Euclidean. I don't know what it is, but it's really cool. So, like, if I understand, and you, you obviously know a lot more about math than I do, but Euclid was the guy who, like, wrote the book that founded most of mod modern mathematics, like, the, the way that we do math. And I think when they're... Fuck, I'm, I'm not going to even try to Google this in real time, but, like, I think when they say non-Euclidean, they mean, like, not within our current understanding of like how math works like this this couldn't really happen because it can't, it wasn't proven by euclid mm, yeah yeah that makes sense okay. so when people say like non-euclidean travel when they say like uh like okay st star trek right they go to warp warp speed and so they're they're driving it faster than the speed of light so technically you would leave here and arrive at point B before you left. And so that's mathematically impossible based on Euclid's uh, definition of like what is real. But if you were traveling at faster than the speed of light, that would have to be the case. So it's a non-Euclidean travel. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yes. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know, man. I've, I'm punching way above my weight in terms of intelligence and education right now. But I'm going to be honest. I, I like more the tech side of things. I'm terrible with yeah. math. I'm terrible with math. <laughs> I know I know some math. Like if I pick a book and I like a 
pick a book and start reading, I can make some make sense of many things. But that I will, will remind how stuff works. Like, yeah, the, like do some integrals, derivatives. I don't know. I'm terrible with these things. Uh, I struggle to. <laughs> I actually fail, man. Like how many times maybe like three times during my whole uh time at college but i i i insisted i guess you know what i like best about this show is that an hour ago we were talking about grim curse and you know here we are a little over an hour later and we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) euclidean mathematics and time travel (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah like it's um it's amazing is there any particular like i know you said that like pixel art was not like really your first love but is there are there any particular artists that you know resonate with you or that you look up to or draw inspiration from um i would say that i'm really inspired by like in the atmosphere side of things uh at least Mm -hmm. how to build an environment i really like dark wood just like this top-down survival game, it's really cool. And it's a very immersive game. I really like immersion in games. I really like when sound itself just makes you feel like you're in there. I, I have to play Return of the Obra then too. Uh, I think that guy really makes really cool shit. He he made uh, Papers Please, which is a pretty famous yeah. indie game. That's the the game where you're a, a Russian guard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you're like in a border and of this troubled country and you see all of these people trying to come by. But yeah, Papers, Please, is, everyone knows Papers, Please, but he made also Return of the Overden, which is like a reading game. So now that you talk about how your game will be a reading game, I, I'm pretty sure you could maybe enjoy that game too. But it's a, like a, a sound design masterpiece. The game really puts you in in every way. Like you really need headphones to play. Like if you're planning to to use your old grandma's speakers just to 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 hear everything in the game, that won't work. You really have to immerse yourself into it. <laughs> so, so Call of Ragnar is not really a reading game. It is a it is an RPG, right? Or a, <laughs> it's it's at least an adventure game set in like a medieval setting with some elements of RPG. Oh, reading game? No, just kidding, just kidding. Um, but it. Because you know it doesn't have like voice acting and everything, so there's a lot of like dialogue with different characters and like backstory and stuff that involves reading. As and it so should that's be. That's just my joke. That's how I like to fuck with people. <laughs> is be like, no, we're just making a reading simulator. Like, that's all we're doing. I don't know. Like, we, I don't know why you're back in our Patreon. Like, we're just making a game that's about reading. <laughs> Speaking of, I just got a message from the main dev right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely, I definitely got you with that. It's a, it's a definitely. A great joke. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people in the boomer shooter community will see those kind of games. Yeah, hate it. Yeah, they, they don't like yeah. reading. I was playing with a friend of mine. Uh, he lives in my building. We were playing some Wolfenstein, like from the from the reboot. We were playing the New Order. I actually played it very recently. I hadn't played it before. And he was like, Lore, story, cinematics. I'm not here for this shit. Like he skipped it. He immediately skipped. It. He skipped to the gameplay, and uh, that's pretty. That's pretty much how some people can be. But the guy was pretty much just messing around because he also loves stuff like the Elder Scrolls and those really heavy story games. I, 
I think we're mostly inspired by specifically Betrayal at Crondor. But the early Elder Scrolls like Daggerfall are also like kind of, you can see the influence there. But it, it's mostly a, uh, it's just Damian's brainchild. I can't take credit for it. You know, all I am is just the, you know, manager. Like I, I just keep people in check and, and advertise and market and shit like that. I'm not a, uh, you're, I'm not a game you're important. I'm not, I'm not a coder. I'm not an artist. You're not, still important, man. The useful things. Don't worry. You're, you're still important. Remember. Well, remember the chat we had the other day that was cut, <laughs> technical issues. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the PR guys are super important. PR guys are sometimes the only reason some games are uh, seen by people. So yeah, the, that's it. That's how it goes. Yeah. I think that. There's no, uh, there's nothing to market without a product. But having a product that no one knows about is, meh, like you're not <laughs> gonna get anywhere. Yeah, it's like it, the old saying, like if a tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, kind of thing. Uh, and a lot of game developers really struggle with it. I mean, you're you're doing the fucking work right now. You're coming on podcasts. You're you're making a appearances at at a panel. Uh, you know or trying to at least uh, <laughs> yeah. being a, you know being part of the convention like you're you're actively doing the work to make sure that people see your game and then for every guy like you there's 10 or 15 who are just like ah, I'll just put it out and see what happens and that it's so it's it's not impossible but it's like catching lightning in a bottle thinking that you're just going to put it out there and then somebody's just going to magically pick it up and it's going to be some huge, you know, Twitch streamer who streams your game and then like a million people buy it. Like it's very rare. And and I mean, even when that does happen, it's probably because the game developer reached out and said like, Hey, would you stream my game? Here's my code, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it's, a, it's also about like, you know, in, in today's age, like being on social media going, you know, it's been hard for the past couple of years because of COVID, but you know, going to conventions and making like face-to-face -face relationships with people who are potentially going to buy your game. You know, I, I mean, obviously, and this is a big philosophy of mine because I do this podcast is that I think that build, building a personal relationship with your audience is the most powerful marketing tool you can have, like, and cu excellent customer service too. So like somebody, you know, it, Somebody's going to listen to this. Maybe not the most people in the world. It's not the biggest podcast in the world. But like <laughs> a few, a few people might tune in, and here you're and I, you and I talking about this, and it's like, man, this guy's like just an interesting person. You know, he's 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 an engineer. He's living in Venezuela. He's going you know, like all this crazy stuff in your background, and then like grow to resonate with you through us talking for an hour or so, and then say like, fuck, you know, I got, I got the money. I'll buy their game. And then they might really love it. And then they might tell a bunch of other people about it and say like, Oh, be like, and it's not, it's like when you go to a restaurant um, and, and they tell you, you know, there's a difference between like McDonald's or, you know, your typical fast food shit where it's like, who gives a shit where the food came from? Or, you know, when you walk into a nice restaurant and they say, Oh, we, we got the best Alaskan cod that was caught by a fisherman who, sh you know, do it ethically. And they, and they, they love that they hold the fish in their arms and cry as it dies, <laughs> like, or, you know, some dumb shit like that. But that's a story behind it. You know, or if you're talking, like I mentioned craftsman earlier, you know, you talk to a guy, you, you go buy a knife off of like, 
I don't know, Amazon or whatever from Gerber or some shit. Or you talk to a guy who's like, I, uh, I forge it in my own forge. You know, I beat it with a fucking hammer until it's like ready. And then I sharpen it with a, with a special, uh, I don't know, <laughs> whetstone that was given to me by my great grandfather. <laughs> and we've been doing this. It's been in my family for like the story behind it is what's important. And then that's the difference between a $20 knife and a $200 knife. That's like, Agreed, yeah. there's a story behind this. This, this thing was made by someone's like grit and sweat and blood and tears. And that's what your game is. This to me, that's anyway, really flattering. Like, this game is like, you're, you're putting your heart and soul into something. It's not this like gross, like corporate mass produced garbage that you get from a triple A company. That's why I love indie devs so much. Yeah, honestly, there are so many great people out there developing games from so many different backgrounds. Um, like for example, Sergio and Mark Four, this guy is uh, he, like the guy that, well, I, I actually listened to your podcast talking to him. So yeah, and he's from Brazil. Uh, that's- uh, Moleque, Torreirao. Hmm? Oh, yeah, I don't know any Portuguese. No, that's his name, right? The Brazilian. Oh, guy. yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, Sergeant Mark IV. Marco, yeah, Mark. Mark. Oh, Mark, 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 Mark. Okay. Yeah, they're also from Brazil. I just You said Brazil, and I was like, which, which one are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, like the guy, the guy from, don't worry, the guy from Brazil Doom, like he's from Brazil. He's right below me in terms of like this country is really really close to mine and he's another example of people that through the years like he he started making mods at such a young age i remember at the age he started to like output mods i was like trying to make a unity game and i was like so confused like what is javascript what is what is this i don't understand anything i was so confused about what programming was i didn't understand a thing of it and that's something I really praise a lot. Like so many people that start at such a young age from different places. Like, yeah, I'm I'm 17 and I'm making some 3D models, and then you see this amazing shit. It's it's really good. It's really good to uh, how many people do things out of passion. Like, I, I really want to do this. I will do it. With Mark, it was particularly interesting because he was so young when all that stuff started to come out with Brutal Doom. And and obviously there was a lot of controversy around some things that he did and said and whatnot. But, I mean, shit, he's a grown-up now. He's grown up a lot since then. I can't imagine, you know, you were ta- we're, we keep revisiting this, but, like, being famous or, or being, you know, at least to that level, pretty prominent at a young age. Like, if you'd caught me when I was, like, 18, I would have said some dumb fucking shit. <laughs> same, man, I same. I was a stupid motherfucker when I was 18. I'm still stupid, but I was really dumb then, <laughs> by comparison. Yeah, if, if you talk to me when I was, like, 16, I, I, will, I would probably be talking about League of Legends and trying to get girls. I don't know, something like that. So, yeah, uh, time really changes you, and uh, all of these controversial things, I don't, I don't think they're really relevant a lot of people talk about things that he did when he was like 16 or 17 and i only think in my head do, do you realize what you're saying you're messing with a, with who who was a teenager it's really done to me honestly I, I, I don't want you to hold against me what i did last night yeah <laughs> i forgot <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but yeah you know how twitter is people like to 
complain about everything and i've i've seen multiple times people complaining about yeah he he seems to be a better guy now i'm like bitch you're talking about something he said like so many years ago and that's pretty much my way of thinking i i mean i i thought that the interview that i did with him and i would love to do another one whenever he's ready but you know he's a busy guy but just getting him to talk about it, you know, publicly for the first time in, in a, in a controlled environment, like not with someone who's trying to, and I, I had to talk him into it. I was like, look, I know you've been fucked over by journalists I parodied, and yeah. people in the past, you know, and I, I am not going to anything. I'll let you listen to it before I publish it. Anything I can do to make this as transparent as possible. I don't want to misrepresent you, you know? And I was scared because I, you know, I didn't really know him. I thought maybe he would come in and be like, "Yeah, fuck, I meant every bit of it. Fuck all you, suck my dick." <laughs> but he wasn't. He was like, "Look, dude. I mean, I said some dumb fucking stuff, but a people don't really understand the context of what was going on at the time and why I said the things I did. You know, to some extent, all of it can't be excused. But you know, we can say like, oh, I forgive you for the past.' But a lot of it was like." You know, uh, I would never say that to someone now, ever like that. I've grown up and I understand why that was wrong and I wouldn't do it again. You know, if I could go back and change it, I would. And I'm like, that's what, what more can you ask of him? You going to do lock him in prison for 20 years. Yeah. There, there's this thing <laughs> that people will always try to look out for, uh, forgiveness. People feel powerful when they see someone asking for forgiveness. And I think that's also part of the reason People might act, act like that towards him. It's like people are expecting a YouTube apology of 45 minutes. Him saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for everything. When the guy, the guy just grew up and that's, that's what it is. And he's making a kick-ass game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks so good. I've, I've seen the, his videos, his blogs. Damn, so much detail is being put into the did you see the video of him talking with um i don't i don't remember his name he makes reviews about the gore in in video games um i'm not sure yeah there is a video of him like explaining all like how he implemented all of these systems about the gore everything and the like both of them are non-native speakers so you, you see a guy with a Russian type of accent. Sorry if that's wrong. And then you see this guy with a Brazilian English accent. Uh, and it's so cool to hear them talking back and forth. Like, so how did you develop this system? And then he's like, well, I took some time to blah, 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 blah. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's really good to see so much interaction. I'm really glad that we decided to like do a long form podcast because I don't think that the panel did uh, justice to you and your game and, and everything that's about you that makes this, this thing <laughs> special. And Thank it's you. Really fun getting a chance to know you. And I hope we do it again. Um, you know, as you get further along in development, you get ready to release it and all that stuff. Just like hit me up anytime. I'm always, you know, I try to always be available. So sure. Uh, sure, man. Let's do another one. Anytime I'll send you some sneak peeks, anything. So you can take an, take a look at everything that's going on for sure yeah well i'm looking forward to seeing your trailer and i'm looking forward to wish listing and playing the game and all that kind of stuff and then i'll come back after that and be like fuck dude it was so good <laughs> holy shit thank you really but, well thank you for having me man really didn't expect this at all and yeah thank you
yeah um i'll talk to you again in the near future see ya I'm not going to say a whole lot this time. I will say thank you to Orlando for uh, multiple attempts to nail down an interview with me because I, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but shit happens and we made it happen and I'm very happy to have shared this conversation with you. I also want to say thank you to all of our supporters. I'm not going to read them off today, but uh, you know who you are and uh, you are appreciated greatly. If you would like to support In The Keep yourself, consider heading over to inthekeep.com forward slash support or just grab something from our merch store. Realms Deep is a very, very short period away. Only just over a week. Um, Stay tuned throughout the week. I have some surprises for you that will be at your fingertips very soon. And enjoy it. But uh, until next time, I love you. Drongod Kathala loves you. Stay in the keep.